But today I want to give you a sermon entitled, How to Treat God. How to treat the pastor, how to treat each other, and how to treat God. God should be treated by us in a particular kind of way, with a particular, particular kind of attitude. Now in the Old Testament, we see a lot of times this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And if you've been reading your Bible in your life or gone to Sunday school, you may have heard sometimes the following phrases. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's also, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of also knowledge. The right perspective of God is important to your life. It changes the way you live, having the right fear of God, the right perspective of God. And in my life, I've tried to think about what, the, what does that word fear mean? You know, does it mean reverence or respect? But every time, the word just simply is talking about fear. In fact, in the, New, in the, in the Greek New Testament, the word for fear there is that word that we all know really well, phobos, from which we get the word phobia. Now, how many of you, how many, anybody, here, anybody here have a phobia of something? You know, you may have claustrophobia. Arachna, and then whatever else there is. <laughs> I feel claustrophobic sometimes myself, so I, I, know, I, know, I know about that kind of fear, right? So the fear of the Lord is important. How shall we treat God? Now let's look at verses 16 through 22. We're only going to give a sermon from 16 to 18. But we'll read through 22 because it talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, who is also God. All right? Verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to treat the Holy Spirit from verses 19 to 22. Now let's make a short prayer together, and I'll give you this sermon. Father, I thank you for your word, and um, I pray that you would help me to give this sermon. I ask for the promised help of the Holy Spirit. Only through your spirit and through your power can every person here get what they need from my meager attempts to give them a message. I pray, Lord, that you would fit the sermon to the heart, and Lord, there's... Something particular needs to be said. I pray that these people will hear what they need. I pray these things in Christ's precious and glorious and wonderful name. Amen. Now, verses 16 to 22, because we're talking to a church, this part is communal. Just like treating your pastor involves a community, treating each other within the church involves a community, how we treat God together is important too, how we treat God as a community as a local congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are communal instructions, and they have to be communal instructions because in private, in private, do you find yourself rejoicing always or not? Do you find, now I, I looked at these words a hundred different ways to try to figure out a way to have some not rejoicing all the time. Because sometimes I feel very low. Do you ever feel low? You ever feel depresso in your spirito? I do. 
And as I read the Psalms, the Psalms inform me that the private life of even the greatest men of faith, sometimes their private life is filled with sorrows. We read this morning, Psalms 119, verses 81 through 88, and it says there, I am like a wineskin in the smoke. Now, wineskins are these old water, water or liquid drinking vessels they would use to carry them to make wine and skins. They're made of animal skin, of, of leather sometimes, sometimes made of a stomach, various things they're made out of. But if you hang up those things in, the, in a smoky room, they turn into kind of beef jerky, kind of tough and leathery. You guys ever had beef jerky? Which is more tender, beef jerky or ribeye? Well, ribeye is always to be preferred, amen? Just barely warm, right? <laughs> so, life has a way of drying you out. And that's, in God's word, that's inspired scripture. I have been in the smoke, I feel very dry. I feel fragile. I feel cracky. I feel like I could fall to pieces any minute. And the psalmist says, how long am I going to be in this situation? That's inspired scripture. If you read Psalm 88, you'll see that the, that the psalmist there attributes all of his sorrows to, guess who? To God. You have made me feel this way. You have made me sad. You have caused me to not feel too great about my situation. And so when you read in 1 Thessalonians, rejoicing evermore, rejoicing always, you think, how do I reconcile that with the Old Testament? And that's because this is about communal activities. When we are worshiping together at church, we worship here differently than we worship at home. Is that true, you think? When I read the Bible at home, I'm always sitting down. When I read it at church, I'm always standing. Of course, for you, when I read the Bible here, you're always what? Sitting and I'm always standing. For a long time in my life, I used to always read my Bible laying down on the floor, you know, kind of prost, I started to say prost, prostrate. <laughs> no way did I say the wrong word? Stretched out on the ground. <laughs> prostate. Is it, which one is right? Prostate. No. Prostrate. All right. I guess that R makes a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I pray that way too. And then you go through different, different things, different ways, right? Um, there's some people at church, some people here at the church, when they have their private worship, maybe they sing to the Lord. One of my friends, Tommy Druitt, uh, he, was, uh, he would sing. He said, I, would, I sing to the Lord every morning. He sings gospel. He's a gospel singer. He said, every day I have to read the Bible and pray, I sing my songs to the Lord. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. But I have found myself singing to the Lord sometimes, and I'm by myself. What we do here is not exactly what we do elsewhere. Now here, when we assemble together in this church house like this, I want you to understand something. This is a representation of what it's going to be like in heaven. That's why the assembling together of ourselves to worship is so important. Because when we assemble here, we've been out there in our various places and activities and jobs. But on Sundays, we whoosh, 
We are called together, summoned together here by the Holy Spirit. We come here to worship. We are an assembled body of believers worshiping our triune God. This is a a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven one day when all of the Christians who've ever lived are all assembled in one place worshiping the Lord. So this is an assembly that resembles heaven. Now in heaven... And the final day, is the rejoicing of heaven going to be marked by lament or by praise? Well, it can't be lament because there's nothing to lament about. All the enemies are gone. Death has been taken away. We're in the glory world. We're face to face with our heavenly Father. We're there with the Son, with the Spirit, with all those who've gone on to glory. That worship and that Time and that place is going to be worthy as the Lamb to receive honor and glory. World without end, ages to come, ever and ever, be marked by rejoicing. So when we come here to worship on Sundays, our worship here is going to normally be marked by rejoicing. What we just did in singing those songs, those songs were so delicious to sing, weren't they? I like that little look. To you we lift our eyes. This lifts you up, man. To think about looking up unto Christ. But my friends, think about what it's going to be in the glory realm when we're not lifting up our eyes. How many of you guys lifted your eyes when you are singing that song? To the rafters. <laughs> to the wires and the string. I mean... But in the glory world, you're going to lift your eyes and you're going to be, you behold him there, the risen lamb, seated on his throne. The God-man, Christ upon his throne. So the assembled church is a picture of this heavenly future. And this heavenly future is going to be remarked by, remarked by, remarked, remarked. What's going to be spectacular about it is going to be rejoicing forever. And so when we come here to worship, it should also be marked by rejoicing. Now, when you come to church, you don't always come to church feeling like worshiping, do you? Are you always glad to come to church when you get up in the morning on Sunday? No. Valerie and I, you know, we've been going to church our whole lives and we've raised our kids, you know, and, and waking the kids up on Sunday morning is sometimes difficult because they like to sleep, right? Sometimes it's hard for me to get up on Sunday morning. Because all week long, you know, you're always trying to get some rest. And what's the night you sleep the best or sleep the worst? It's Sunday. But usually you fall into that deep, delicious rim sleep at about 7.30. Then <laughs> 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 you stayed up all night watching some boring show, trying to fall asleep or <laughs> reading a book. And then finally, right then, it can be tough. And that's physical things. Then you have spiritual battles you go through coming to church. Somebody texts you, get some bad news, you know. Go outside and see the weather's just perfect for fishing. This morning, I came in, I was coming, I'm away in the church this morning to get Bob Pavlowski. And Bob called me, he said, Terry, I'm not coming to church today. I said, all right, Bob, I'm going to miss you. I thought, well, what am I going to do with this extra 10 minutes or so? I got 15 minutes. So I did what all Christian men do. I went down to the dam. I didn't have any fishing poles with me, but I walked around and looked at the water. Looking for salmon. Because the salmon are supposed to be coming. And I watched what all the other fishermen were casting, with the lures they were using, right? To try to build up my 
And I thought, you know, it's too bad I got to go preach. <laughs> I could go fishing. It's tough sometimes to go fishing. <laughs> it's actually not tough to go fishing. <laughs> it's tough to go to church sometimes because of these difficulties. I'll tell you where my heart's at. <laughs> my friend Josh Fryman would say right there, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. <laughs> now, our rejoicing when we come here together is not going to be rejoicing that can come from the fact that our bills are all paid because sometimes, <laughs> very rarely, are the bills all always paid. The ground of our rejoicing in the church of Christ cannot always be from good reports from the doctor because we do not always get good reports from the doctor. We can't always rejoice because jobs have been gotten or retirement has been attained. And we can't always rejoice because new babies have been born because sometimes bad things happen. So what's the ground of our rejoicing as an assembled church? It can't be the circumstances of our life. It has to be the Savior of our life. We can come here and rejoice every Sunday of the year because of Jesus Christ, the living, risen Son of God, who is the Savior of all people who will believe on Him. He is our Savior. And my friends, I just want to remind you that the only way you're going to get into heaven is if you acknowledge your sin before God. And your sin is either sin, the yucky stuff, or your sin is self-righteousness. And as long as you think you don't need a Savior, well, you're as yet unsaved, unborn again, undelivered. But when you realize you have no righteousness of your own, and you call upon Christ and ask Him to give you His righteousness, He gives it to you in abundance. He imputes it to you by faith. And you receive that by personal, intentional faith, calling upon him to save you. And if you call upon Christ to save you, he will save you. I know it doesn't seem possible. It seems too good to be true. It seems unbelievable. But Jesus will save you if you call upon him. He said, well, I couldn't pass a Bible quiz test. You don't get into, you're not saved by knowledge. You're saved by Christ. And if you'll call upon him, he will save you. He'll justify you. And you can go to heaven when this life is over. That's, and that can never be taken away from you. That's why we believe in a thing here at Faith Baptist Church that's really called everlasting life. Put your faith in Jesus and you will receive everlasting life, which means it can never end, which means you cannot lose it. John 10, 28, 29. My sheep are in my hand, and no man shall pluck them from my Father's hand. And Jesus adds, I and my Father are one. You see, you're not saving yourself. You're not involved in saving yourself. Jesus is the one who saves you. When I was five years old, 1984, I guess I was probably six years old, my grandparents bought the very first Dodge minivan that they had at the Chrysler dealership or Dodge dealership in Illinois. Remember the Dodge minivan? It came out in 1984. My grandparents bought one, and they wanted to road test it, so we took it from Illinois to California. On the way to California, on the way, that was you. <laughs> on the way to California, we stopped at a hotel all day long. I'd be yelling at my mom, 
not yelling at my mom. I would never yell at my mom. We were saying, can we, go, can we get a hotel with a pool? Can we get a hotel with a pool? And she's like, yes. So we got a hotel with a pool, and it was a, a ground-level thing, and the pool was kind of in the courtyard and had a sliding door. And, man, we went in there, and we put on our bathing suits, and we jerked open that door and running for the pool. And my mom is saying, wait, wait, wait. But, man, we didn't want to wait. Me and my brother were running for the pool, and boosh, my brother, boosh. In my whole life, I guess I had always jumped in the shallow end. Because I thought I was jumping in the shallow end of that pool. And I, you know how you jump in the water and expect to feel your feet hit the bottom, kind of like, like you're programmed, going to hit the bottom? Well, I didn't hit the bottom. And that's when I remembered, oh yeah, I can't swim. <laughs> and so I come, I'm start panicking because I'm not finding the bottom you know, and I come up out of the water, back under, and next thing I know, I feel a hand grab my hair and whoosh, yank me out of that water. It's my mom. She said, I saw you. I saw what you were doing. I knew exactly what was going to happen. So there I am, you know, little six-year-old me, running as fast as I can go. My mom, fast as she can go. And she, you know, threw herself down there and reached out there, got me by the hair and yanked me out of that water. Now, my friends, how many moms do you think would have let go of their kid? I mean, have you ladies ever saved your kid from death? You get that vice grip on them, you know? You know? The bone is cracking. The skin is tearing because you got them. My mom wasn't going to let go of me for nothing. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus has you in his grip. And he died for you, rose from the dead for you, and he's not going to lose you. Put your faith in Christ. And then after that, you're known as being in Christ. You're saved in him. Now, my friends, our mutual rejoicing on the Lord's day is always going to come from the fact that we are the children of God. We can always rejoice over the gospel because the good news of the gospel never stops being good news. We can always rejoice over the greatness and goodness of our God because God is always great and always good to us and every day shows us that. We can always rejoice because Christ the Lord is going to return and may he come soon. We can always rejoice because of the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit in us, and in the world. My friends, do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you don't think can be done. You can trust God, and you can trust the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts and lives of you and the people you know and love. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust God's purpose. We can rejoice because we have the words of God in our own language, and we can read them every day, and we can be informed about the kind of God that we serve. Now, if our worship is not marked by rejoicing, if we're not able to rejoice Sunday after Sunday, then our focus is off. Because what we rejoice about here cannot be changed. We always find things for rejoicing. James Madison Pendleton, in his little New Testament notes here, here's his little phrase. He says, look for things to praise God over. Look for things to praise God over. As I read that, I was reminded 
of his biography, Reflections on a Long Life, where he talks about the loss of wife, loss of children in infancy, loss of adult children. Basically, he outlives everybody he's related to. If he can find something to rejoice about, well, I took that to heart. I think you should too. The second thing we see here is we should pray without ceasing. The word prayer means to ask, means to supplicate, asking God. And we should never stop praying. The only request of the apostles, they never said, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to organize Sunday school. Lord, teach us how to lead a church. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them how to pray. And the Lord's prayer is still the best prayer. The commentators tell us here from verse 17 that we are to be frequent with our request in everything. The apostle says, by prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. If we ever stop praying, it's because two things have happened to us. Number one is we become a fatalist. And if you have a big view of God, if you believe in the absolute sovereignty and purpose of God over all things, it's very hard to not become a fatalist. How do I know? Because I have that problem. But we're not supposed to become fatalist. What will be, will be. What won't be, won't be. Although that's, that's a, it's very attractive to me. I struggle with it all the time. You can become a fatalist where you become indifferent to everything. You know, a fatalist is like this, right? <laughs> well, I don't know how to illustrate that. Just don't, don't be a fatalist. Let me say it like this. We need to remember, those of us who have fatalistic tendencies, we have to remember that prayer matters and prayer does change things. We have to remember that. Otherwise, all the admonitions to pray in the Bible are just double talk. Just stuff people say you shouldn't take seriously, right? The second thing that happens to us when we stop praying is we become self-sufficient. I don't need to pray. I can fix this. I don't need to pray. I can handle this. I don't need to pray. I got the money. I got the skills. I got the team. I don't need to pray because I can handle it. That's self-sufficiency. Now, what happens to faithless and those who are self-sufficient is that the Lord, because he is a, he's a mighty good father, is uh, he'll, bring things, he'll bring things into your life that'll make you do what? Pray. I was listening this week to 90s country. The last decade of the good stuff. And I had to, I had to switch it off because I started getting all teary-eyed in my office. Listen to Tim McGraw. I think it's Tim McGraw. That, that dumb song, Please Don't Take the Girl. Johnny's daddy was taking him fishing when he was eight years old. A little girl came through the front gate holding the fishing pole. You know, take any boy in the world, daddy, just please don't take the girl. Five years later down the road, they're at your picture show. They're hugging and kissing, you know, and as you should at picture shows. <laughs> Five years later, they're married. The doctor comes and says, the baby's fine, but you'll have to go. 
because his mama's fading fast. And Johnny hit his knees, and there he prayed. Take anything you need to. Take the breath from my chest. Just please don't take the girl. I mean, God will bring things into your life to show you, you really do need me. Because that's how God works. That's what you see in the Bible. You see it over and over in the Scripture. Pray. Let your request be frequent. Pray without ceasing. Be an often prayer. You may say, well, I don't know what I should pray. The Lord's Prayer is still the best prayer. The breadth and depth of Christianity across the world can be credited to the prayers of God's saints. Because when we pray, pray, thy kingdom come, it has come. The kingdom has come. When we pray, thy will be done, it is being done. When we say, on earth as in heaven, it will be. Praying, talking to God. Prayer requires no special beauty in speech. Just speak to God clearly and succinctly, believing that you are speaking to someone who cares and who can do something about what you're asking. God cares and He can do something about what you're praying about. He can do something. But the reason why we don't pray sometimes is He doesn't do what we think He should. But that's where we have to trust the Lord. Trust Him to do what's right. Right? Trusting Him because He knows what's going on. He knows what you and I don't know. Right? And and I wrote here a short prayer. May God give us faith to pray like we ought to. Now in verse 18, the apostle says, Give thanks in all circumstances. To give thanks in every circumstance? Giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, to do this means we have to understand that what God brings into our life is His plan for making us better and more like Jesus. Reading the life of Christ, you'll you read the life of Christ, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see in the life of Christ that God did not exempt his son from suffering. He didn't exempt him from suffering. But through his suffering, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that because of Christ's suffering, he has received from his Father the highest admonition not the highest admonition, the highest appellation you can imagine. He's given him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus only got that position and recognition because he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross because he went through The sufferings, he comes out glorious on the other side. And my friends, what's going on in your life and in my life, the sufferings, they're going to make us more glorious in the future. God is refining us. He's making us more like his precious son, Jesus Christ. 
The good times are good. But there's another side to it. Psalms 119 verse 71 says this, It is good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes the only way we learn lessons is the hard way. Anybody like that? Is anybody here extra stubborn? And you can be told and you can be shown, but hey, you're going to hit the wall. (laughs) You're going to learn the hard way. That's how we are. Now, I'm going to quote two, two authorities here, and then we'll probably be done. On this passage, the Cambridge Bible for seminaries and universities says this. The apostle had learned, and he taught the secret that in sorrow endured for Christ's sake, there is hidden a new spring of joy. So he can say in Romans 5, let us glory in tribulations. That in our sufferings for Christ's sake, there is a joy, a hidden spring of joy that can well up. Now, there are, there's suffering in life that we all endure. We're all going to suffer. But there's a particular joy and blessing that comes from sorrowing for Christ's sake. So, suffering for Christ's sake is when you face persecution, ridicule, and mockery because you're a Christian. And because you hold to Christian principles and Christian values. And as the world we live in continues that slope towards Sodom, to be a Christian and stand for what the Bible says about Christian values is going to cause you to become very repugnant to the world in which we live. Standing for the truth of the gospel. And with the Bible, and, and you know, people don't seem to be too mad about the gospel. They're, they're mad about what the Bible says about human sexuality. They're mad at what the Bible says about truth and justice. And when you stand for the truth, God's truth, you're going to face persecution for it. But the apostle says we can glory in tribulations because in these tribulations... God gives us joy because we're standing for the right thing. Now, I think, about the, I think about stuff, weird stuff sometimes. But I think, when I think about the United States military and the number of lives that have been laid down for this country's freedom and defense, I'm always blown away by it. I'm most blown away by the Revolutionary War when we threw off England. Because here are just these regular guys out there in the field, you know, hoeing turnips. And they got a wife and they got 2,500 kids. And they're willing to leave the farm where a man is essential. Not just because because men are superior, just you need, need a lot of warm bodies to keep the thing going. And they'll just walk away from their family with a single-shot smoke pole that may or may not go off and go fight the British. And in war times, a lot of soldiers, they don't get killed in combat. They get killed from accidents. At Fort Sill, Oklahoma, every, almost every calendar year, they have three to five 
soldiers who die in training. Training. They had a helicopter crash down there a few years ago. One of those uh, double, double, uh, double rotor ones. What's it called? The uh, Chinook or something. And that thing, douche. And all the little soldier boys on there who were doing one of their, I think for some of those guys, it was their first ever flight on that. I think, what makes them do that? It just it blows my mind. To think about, but they're willing to lay down their life for a cause. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes I, my dad used to say it like this. My dad would say, of course, our sworn enemy is who? It's always Russia. <laughs> when I was a kid growing up, my dad said, our sworn enemy is Russia. And I say the same thing. My dad would say, when the Russians attack the beaches of America, I'll be down there with a baseball bat if I have to. I remember as a kid thinking, hoorah. <laughs> Me too. But now I think, do I, would I really do that? Would I offer up my life? But there must be some, and I think about, I was reading uh, Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing, Killing Patton, and he talks about, the full bird colonels who are just running out in the battle and doing acts of, of heroism and taking risks and just being chopped down. I mean, a colonel, not a private, not a corporal, not a sergeant. A colonel running out there and putting grenades down these, these uh, machine gun nests and dropping grenades and getting blown up in the act. And I think, wow, what a waste. Guy's got a four-year degree from American University, highly trained, highly skilled, able to lead a lot of men, a colonel. <laughs> what makes him do that? Because they, they value something bigger than themselves. And my friends, as Christians, we should value the kingdom of God so much that we are willing to lay down our life for the kingdom of God, for Christ our Savior. I hope that in the hour of testing that I have the, well, I hope that I can do it. I hope that I can stand fast in troublesome times for the gospel's sake, to never give up, to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake, to find this spring of joy so that I can say with the Apostle Paul, let us glory in tribulations. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all men are evil against you falsely for my sake and the, and the gospels. Right? Blessed are ye when you're suffering for his sake. Suffering for his sake. The apostle knows this, so he says rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. Paul also knows, this is from John Calvin, and, th and this is striking to me. Paul also knows that God has such an attitude towards us in Christ that even in our afflictions, we have occasion for thanksgiving. For what could be more suitable for pacifying us then, when we learn that God embraces us in Christ so tenderly 
that God turns to our advantage and welfare everything that befalls us. Let us therefore bear in mind that this is a special remedy for correcting our impatience, to turn away our eyes from beholding present evils that torment us, and to direct our views to a consideration of a different nature, how God stands affected towards us in Christ. Calvin is saying that in Christ, if you are in Christ, God is working all things for your good. Now, is he talking out of his hat or is he quoting Paul? He's quoting Paul, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. It's all going to work out for your good. Because God's not up there in heaven mad at you. God's up there and he has your best interest at heart. As a parent, have you ever been misunderstood by your kids? They think you're just cruel. Oh, meanie pants. Oh, stick in the mud. But that's not really how you are, are you, parents? Well, sometimes. But you're, you're really looking out for their good, their ultimate good. And you're trying to work things out for their good. God is the same. God is our example in that. So, brothers and sisters, we need to remember some things about our God, all right? First of all, remember, God is not like us. He has full knowledge. And he is working things according to his purpose. Now, I'm going to give you three things here. All of God's motives towards you are pure. All of God's ways are perfect. And all of his plans for you will be performed. You can trust God. So in every circumstance, we can pray Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good. You do good. Teach me to understand. In the dark valley, we can trust that he is with us. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. Though I go through the valley of deep darkness, thou art Thy rod, your rod, and your staff, they comfort me in that dark time. When our heart is broken, we can remember that Isaiah 61.1 promises us that he binds up the brokenhearted. When we do not understand, when it makes no sense to us, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. My friends, when you want to die, because Christians sometimes just want to die, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul says, My life stinks so much right now that I have despaired of life itself. But the Lord strengthened me. When you want to die, ask God to strengthen you. Look to Him for strength to go on. So, my friends, Let's treat pastors properly. Let's treat our fellow pilgrims properly. But most of all, let's treat our potentate and king, our God and Father. Let's treat him right in these three ways. Rejoice over our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I've already asked you this question. 
I want you to ask, I want you to think and answer it in your own heart. Are you really a Christian? Have you been born again? Have you come to know Christ, not academically, not intellectually, but have you come to know him personally as your own Savior? Have you ever called upon him and asked him to save you, to forgive your sins? Have you ever done it on purpose? Some people think, oh, I know I did it somewhere in the past. I'm sure I did. (laughs) Well, let's be sure today. Let's be sure that we've put our faith in Christ on purpose. Call upon him. He'll save you. My friend Randy Thomas was sitting in a church service just like this. And the preacher's up there running his mouth. And after the service, the pastor said, he gave a little deal. He's like, if, you, if you're here today and you ask Christ to be your Savior, you know, raise your hand. And Randy said, I did it five minutes ago while you were preaching. I asked Jesus to save me while you were preaching. You could ask Jesus to save you right now. Call upon him. Jesus, save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. And he will. It's a promise in God's word. Rejoice over our relationship with God that comes to us through Christ. Without Jesus, there is no relationship with God. It's only through Christ. Number two, pray to him about everything we encounter. Everything we encounter in life. Tomorrow you're going to be out there grilling, cooking hamburgers or steaks. You can say, Lord, help me not burn these. (laughs) Meat's expensive. Lord, help me have enough gas to cook them. Lord, help us to have a good day. Help Uncle Tom not to run his mouth too much. Help me not to get into a bad, foul temper. You can pray about everything you encounter. You don't know what's going on. Wake up in the night and think you had a busted pipe. Lord, help me with this situation. Everything you encounter in life, call out to God about it. Pray without ceasing. Don't let anything in your life be something you don't, you're not willing to pray or talk to God about. Whatever it is. I, friends, I can't tell you the number of ridiculous things I've, I mean, to me, ridiculous things I've prayed to God about. Tons of things. Praying to God about all kinds of things. Be a frequent prayer. Thirdly, give thanks to Him for His wisdom in making us perfect. Because He's going to make you perfect. How many of you guys are married to the perfect woman? That's right. Every dude should say amen (laughs) if you got a woman. Now, how many of you ladies are married to the perfect man? (laughs) Eventually, you're going to have a perfect husband, a perfect wife, perfect kids through Christ. Christ is going to make you perfect. God's going to make you like Jesus. You're going to be like him eventually. Give thanks to him for his wisdom and making his perfect because he knows what he's doing. And it's, you're, going to, you're going to be spectacular. Now let's pray together. Father, you know, I've, I've, I've preached above my own ability to live. I can't live up to these things. And Lord, I pray you would help me Forgive me where I have failed you. Lord, the number of 
I pray you would help me to be a better worshiper of you. Help me, Lord, to to think about you in the right ways, to hold you in the right place in my heart. Help me to love you above all things. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.